All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome back to the IB Network's Markham and Martin Pod. We're not sure who's who. We have an election in exactly one week. We should know who the president of the United States will be for the next four years. But today we are here slightly to talk about that, but mostly to talk about the black agenda, the black perspective what black people want, expect, and think about politics and this election in general. As always, I am joined by my host, my partner, my vice president, actively IBS Jesus, Alan Rodney Sandridge, (laughs) the man, the myth, the legend. Kim, what's up? All right. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of things going on, especially which has kind of annoyed me, is this push to get out the vote. And I say annoyed me because it's everywhere. Every celebrity and going to the early voting and make a plan. And it's on Tinder. It's on Bumble. It's on Venmo. It's on Facebook every day telling me where I can vote. And it's funny to me because there's such a belief in a system that is historically and currently continued, continuing to not work for black people. Yep, that's true, man. I um I told a coworker today that uh being an African American at this time of year is probably one of the toughest um things that you go through as an African American, knowing that honestly no matter where you go, it doesn't really matter because nobody listens to you. <laughs> Nothing changes. And um I um I actually had made that into a comedy bit um about how Election season is the only time where we have legitimate value in American society. They love black people every November that somebody needs to get elected. We, everybody's home. You know what? Fried chicken for everybody. You know, (laughs) play your music as loud as you want. You're my brother. That's how they act, man. And then after that, it's just back to the same old. And someone put the uh, a meme up on Maurice, one of our mutual friends, his page, and uh, uh, what would say? I wouldn't call him a colonizer. We'll call him a saltine, a Caucasian. He got upset because of the meme because they're so scared that the vote will be suppressed and that Biden will lose because, like last time, the black people didn't vote for Hillary. And I always find that so insulting because if someone chooses not to exercise their vote, everyone always assumes it's a frivolous reason. Maybe they don't believe in the system. Maybe they don't agree with all that goes down and they realize that they don't have that big of an impact. Like, I personally believe, like, to be a good citizen, you should, but I I don't blame people that are disenfranchised with both parties and they see the corruption. I don't blame black people who are below the poverty line or in the hood and they really realize it doesn't matter 
who the president is. The president is not going to be the teacher or the principal or the school board or the county supervisor or the city council that doesn't give them funding. It's not going to be the police. Don't have anything to do with the police that might stop and frisk them or hit them in the head with a nightstick or shoot them or whatever. It's not going to affect the daily lives of poor people. And, and and there are ways that our community has been failed in so many ways. It's very understandable. Understand? It's very, I can understand that black people feel disillusioned with the political process. Yeah, and the thing about it is, to it's 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 offensive to me because the assumption is is that you're black, so you got to vote Democrat. Which isn't necessarily true. And I know, I actually know a handful of black people that are going to vote Trump and support the Republican Party and the Republican Party's agenda. And I just feel like, um, I just feel like it, it's a tough situation. And me personally, I also am along the lines where I can understand why people just don't want nothing to do with it and as, as African Americans because they only want your vote just for that. They just want your vote. They don't really care about what's going on with you. And, I mean, we've got so many examples of that throughout the years. Um, and, and in this uh, last election, or in this election in the past debate, um, and we'll get to it later, I know I pointed out, but again, there's so many examples of black voices not being heard. It's ridiculous. We can We can go Two episodes back, when we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and people asking for police reform, and they're shutting down Paw Patrol. That's not what we <laughs> asked for. That's not what we're here for. Like, are you not listening to what I'm saying? And and it's and that's essentially the uh, the cry of of a lot of African Americans, of Black people, people of color, whatever you want to call us. That is the plight of many minorities in this country is that nobody listens. I, I, I agree with that. I think that, gosh, I think we got one party. We've been used as a political pawn for so many years. You go back and Reconstruction, the Republicans that were elected, that were black, those, the, first, the first black people to serve in Congress were Republicans and Republicans like to use that and then the party of Lincoln and all that stuff. But then people are really uh, easy to ignore how it shifted and the Republican Party dumped black people to try to obtain the former Democrats votes on segregation. So they used us and they used the fear of white Southerners against us and deserted us. And then the Democratic Party took us on and began to take us for granted. And that's what we talk about. We talk about being taking us for granted. And I think this is an interesting thing. I didn't have this on the outline, but what do you think? And I hear a lot of people, white people say it a lot, but because they want to rub it in. But what do you think about Obama and what he did for black people? Um, Obama had a tough situation, man. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. When you're president, you're president for the people. So that's black, white, Asian, all of them. Granted, he identifies as black. He is black. We see a black man. But it's hard for him to take on that that personal agenda of being um, 
like the leader of black people when he's got to be the leader of the nation. Like, regardless of what people want to think, the nation isn't just black people. It's, it's other people involved. And in order for him to do his job, in order for anybody to do their job as a politician, it requires compromise. You can't just be like 100% pro-black. But in the same breath, there was there was opportunities throughout his um, throughout his uh, tenure as president where things could have been done, or he could have said, or swayed, or influenced uh, to a greater degree uh, for African Americans. But he chose politics over over uh, his his race. I would say, and, and I can't fault him for that because again, at the end of it, end of the day, his job is to be president. For everybody, it is disappointing. But I have long said that the hero that people are looking for uh, in the African American community cannot be a, a politician. It, it, it just can't be because there's just too much going on, and they they're obligated to too many different things. Um, now, uh, politics can play a role in in that process of of us um, getting equality and things like that. But ultimately. It, it can't be the centerpiece. And if you look at the original civil rights movement and even um, the Black Panther Party and all these other African-American movements that really um, kind of helped transform uh, America's policies a little bit, they came from community people, people like in the church, people uh, just throughout the community, not politicians. Politicians help, but they, they can't be the figurehead. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that he gets a bad rap because he was the first black president. He was supposed to solve all the problems, but gosh, it's like you can you spend all your time solving black people's problems or do you have to worry about Russia and spies and the Middle East and what happened in Syria and Lebanon and like the whole world, like you're the leader of the free world. So it's very difficult. It's also hard when the Republicans are trying to stop everything you do. And he did some stuff with Ferguson and he did a lot with the policing and he was the one who pushed the demilitarized police and some of the federal funding that's tied to certain actions that the police do. Like he was the first administration to do that. I think uh, he always tried to thread the needle by not trying to offend the police. It didn't work because they still blamed it for it, but he tried. Uh, he didn't do, I don't understand mm-hmm. why. Some of the uh, reform, like the First Step Act that Trump did, I had to go back and research why that was something they didn't feel like was attainable to, to have a, a prison reform. They didn't feel like that they could do that. But, I mean, he did, he could have done more. I think he could have explained it better, uh, what being a black American was like. But, again, like you said, he was the president of the United States, not just black people and i think he did a good job of being the president of everybody as much as he could yeah and i'll I'll say this too it's not talked about uh openly enough they're not uh, put it this way trump could get more done with support from the republican party because they will support him regardless like we've already seen that so even if they don't agree with the with the first step act the fact that it's a Republican initiative because it's the Republican president who's putting it forward, they're going to vote yes. Everybody but Rand Paul. Rand Paul's the only one that's going to say no because that's just who he is. But everybody else is going to fall in line. Obama couldn't even get all the Democratic Party to really fall in line. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he felt like he couldn't get certain reform done involving prisons and things like that 
because his own party wouldn't support him enough, and the entire Republican Party wasn't going to support it. So even even though he's got a majority in the Senate and a majority in the House, he doesn't necessarily actually have a majority because the support's not there within his own party. And it's not something that's talked about enough because people identify liberals and identify the Democratic Party with being more pro-black than Republicans. But in all actuality, and it's part of the reason why I don't identify with either party, they are a lot alike when it comes to agendas uh, facing minorities. And the only problem is, is that Republicans are more vocal about it, whereas to me, Democrats are more secretive about it. I mean, we, we have friends that or people we associate with on Facebook that we consider uh, to be very liberal, and they will, they will 100% say that they're on our side. And then there's things that they say or pushback that they give on certain topics where we're just like, you're just like Republican. Yep. And they don't want to admit that. They get really offended. But it's like, no, you don't see that because you don't want to see that. You know, it's And like I said, people don't want to believe that the Democrats are a lot like Republicans, but they really, really are. And at the end of the day, we can go back to the crime bill that was pretty much supported by Democrats and all throughout half of the issues we have in our policy procedures, policing, all this crap that we have going on um, with uh, being black in America, there is no difference between Republican and Democratic parties. It's just not. Like, whenever there's a pro-Democrat uh, Congress or pro-Republican Congress, nothing changes. And again, it goes back to our first topic. That's part of the problem with being a, a black voter in America. It's, it's like you're just going through the motions. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I think to move the topic as a good segue, the next thing I had in outline was what do black people want? What should be the black agenda? And it, it and there's so many complaints, and I don't say that in a bad way, Jared Kushner, we'll get to you, but I don't mean that in a bad way, like legitimate complaints <laughs> yeah. and gripes that we have. And for me to even think about what we want, I think from my perspective, what we want, and we can't speak for all the black people, just what we think and what we observe is fair yeah. policing, uh, the end of mass incarceration, and the way the government is stacked against us. I think the biggest thing for me is criminal justice. A lot of people, and, I, and I'm, I've researched more and more into the economic stuff, but I'm not as well versed on it. And some of that is very liberal and I'm not naturally very liberal. I'm moderate, but I might lean to more conservative thought patterns about certain things. So I haven't even like really come to grips with economically what could be done to help black people as much. But the criminal justice system, when the government doesn't give you a fair shake, when we are incarcerated at a higher level, when we are uh, sentenced at a higher level for the same crimes, the same offenses, we're uh, surveilled more. Just every step in the criminal justice system, we are discriminated against more. So that, to me, is the number one priority. And then maybe some people would say that poverty is what's causing some of that, too. But to me, the number one priority for Black America on the agenda is criminal justice reform from top to bottom. So I, I think that because that is in the forefront of everybody's mind, um, based on a lot of the things that we've seen over the last, man, I mean, 
it's obviously before Trayvon Martin, but I feel like Trayvon Martin really sparked a lot of uh, people to be like, something needs to change with policing and and, and uh, minorities. And, and that wasn't even necessarily involving the cop. It's just the justice system in general. What we consider to be justice um, needs to change for, for black people. Um, I think reform on, on a judicial level or a criminal justice level is at the forefront. Um, I go back and forth. I want, I obviously want criminal justice reform, but I feel like there's there's some of us out here that want just a fair shake, man. Like we can't go back. We can't. We can't possibly get reparations. Nobody's really asking for that. Realistically, it's not possible. I know some people out there want it and things like that, but I, I don't think it's possible. And if not, that's fine. That's cool. What about the future? What about like tomorrow and, and, and next year and things like that? Like, give us a fair shake. And, and in order to do that, like, I don't know where to start, but I think we need across every level the opportunity, the same opportunity that white people have. Like, my kids should have the same opportunity to go to schools as, as, as their kids do. And and to be homeowners, I should have the same opportunity as my white friends have, you know, uh, to, to get approved for loans, like, things like that. And, and like I said, it's not all just um, criminal justice reform. It's just what's talked about the most. But ultimately, if there's some way that we can get more equality across the financial or economical spectrum, I really think that would that would ease a lot of issues uh, within our communities and within our society. Uh, a lot of people, I think they call it the broken window theory, if you think about it, a lot of African-American communities, predominantly African-American communities um, that we consider um to be a part of like most of our cities are run down. They're not invested in. And I know there's been initiatives to kind of put money back into those communities to essentially repair these broken window areas and and people would, would feel better about their community, have a higher quality of life and this and that. But there's no follow-through with anything. So I think it's, it's two parts. We want a fair shake and we want the government or whoever is in charge to really follow through on what they say they're going to do. Because and, and there were a couple of weeks ago too, we both read the story, and I think we both shared it separately about the uh, Hampton Roads area. I think it was Norfolk specifically, but uh, the Hampton Roads area about the empowerment yeah. zones, and the empowerment zones were supposed to be for black neighborhoods, but it ended up being gentrification. So sometimes the policies that they have done, the government has done to try to help us ends up backfiring or even affirmative action, which you can't really put a number on it, ends up backfiring in some ways to make it seem like that qualified black people only got there because of their race. And I think in those two situations where the intent is good, but the follow through is poor. And sometimes I just feel like it's like damned if you do and damned if you don't. And it's so frustrating that people aren't putting as much our politicians and the people in charge and they're starting to aren't putting as much thought into figuring out solutions as I feel like they should be. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're starting per se, but that's because pressure has been applied. I mean, we, 
we don't have we don't have accountability in in this current administration. Um, it's, it's lacking from top to bottom. Uh, that's part of the reason why uh, you know situations like we were we were sharing in the Hampton Roads area goes unchecked because the people who are in charge uh, essentially to to watch these these policies and procedures take place aren't really doing their job and um, when they're not doing their job nobody's there to really hold them accountable and when we complain or and I say we we as in you know everyday citizens complain or something like that you either get told by your peers that, that you know I didn't have that problem. Just strap your what they say, strap your boots up and, and get yeah, to work pull yourself or up like that. Down. Or you just get drowned out by by other problems that don't have anything to do with the actual problem at hand. What about the emails? What about Hunter Biden? What about this? What about that? What about now? What about what we're talking about? You know. So um, I think I really think that. We've kind of created this environment in America during this administration. And it's not all Trump's fault, but it's been it's been empowered. Like this negativity has been empowered by the president and the administration, and uh, we, we're caught up in somewhat of a petty war between the media, which obviously has political agendas, and our current administration. And the people who suffer are the real are really the people in need, and we don't get what we need uh, from assistance in the government or just like I said, oversight. Man, like people are so busy politicking, they're not doing any. It's it's, it's almost like a, a a childish game, and I refer to Republicans and Democrats all the time as spoiled children, um, and that's essentially what it's like. I think we're we're probably going to touch on it, but um, the Supreme Court nominee, I've already seen like 50 friends who were very pro-liberal talking about, remember this, remember when this girl comes back on you, like, why does it have to be like that? Why do we have to get stuck into this? Well, they rushed a, a candidate through, now we're going to do this. Like, that's that's not helping the country. That's not helping the situation. And again, as minorities, that has nothing to do with us, yet we have to wait for our assistance, wait for our problems to be heard, because they're too busy playing politics and trying to one-up each other, and we suffer. Minority communities, African-American Hispanics, are suffering, uh, by and large, at a higher rate than, than white people uh, with the coronavirus, and people are still like deadlocked on how to get assistance and and I've seen like some people like Lindsey Graham or maybe Rand Paul, it might have been Rand Paul, but was saying something like, you know, it the government can't afford to to give out another stimulus package or whatever and, and people need to get back to work and you can't just give, give, give. But I'm like, dude, some of this stuff could have been prevented if we'd have done what we were supposed to be doing months and months ahead. But you guys are too busy playing politics. And yet here we are because of decisions made on other things that have nothing to do with minorities. Minorities still have to suffer. Like, I don't, I don't know. The more we talk about it, the, the bleaker it gets. Like we're in a tough situation. We're supposed to support a system that doesn't support us. And that's ridiculous. I agree. Let's switch to the Biden plan, the Biden agenda, lift every voice and sing. I think it really is called that, actually. Um, <laughs> oh, really? He's, he's pandered less than I've seen. I mean, I've seen Hillary and Bill pander a lot more. Joe, 
when he talks and he articulates in long form, he understands the problem and he tries to come to solutions. So let me just hit the bullet points for Joe Biden. Uh, this was a statement he released, and this is coming from his, ultimately from his website, but this is an NPR article. Biden believes in an economy where the American, every American enjoys a fair return for their work and an equal chance to get ahead. An economy more vibrant and powerful precisely because everybody will be included in the deal. An economy where black, Latino, Asian American and Pacific Islanders and Native American workers and families are finally welcomed as full participants. Uh, let's see what we got. He says that is a 26 page plan, uh, bolstering of small business opportunities for minority communities, reforming, oper- reforming it. Cause we talked about how it went, went West or went South. Uh, why is it always went South? Why can't it go West? Reforming opportunity zones, investing in affordable <laughs> housing and home ownership and expanding access to resources for entrepreneurs of colors, color. Also, the racial equality plan would devote $30 billion, 10% of the $300 billion plan. Biden aims to invest in research and development to stimulate the economy to, new small business, to a new small business opportunity fund. Uh, let's see. And also, housing plan includes $15,000 refundable tax credit for first-time home buyers to combat racial inequality in housing markets, and along with an investment to construct 1.5 million homes in public housing units and the elimination of housing regulations thought to perpetuate discrimination. So it seems like, and there's also some stuff about student debt too, to try to relieve black people. So it seems like, I don't know how much of you read, that the plans that he has assuming they happen or they can get past or he does them, are very targeted to some of the problems that black people face. Um, yes. I I um, I wonder... I have a hard time trusting Joe Biden. Um, part <laughs> of that might be because I don't know enough about Joe Biden in the sense that I don't know what to make about the crime bill support that. I mean, it's hard for me to shake that and... and um, I try not to hold it against him. Like I, I said uh, in my post on Facebook, I try to believe that he truly has changed his, his stance. And he does seem a little sincere when he talks, but I'm not sure if that's old age or, or you know, my general walk in life has taught me that racist people don't typically change their ways. You know, it's very tough. It's very rare. But um, the plan seems to be, to me, a good plan. Um, the thing that I liked the most was the uh, the emphasis on reducing uh, student debt slash uh, allowing, I think, I think it said um, tuition-free for families with incomes under $125,000, uh, something the campaign would apply to about 90% of Black, Latino, Native American households. I'm a big crazy to think about of, it. Uh, education. Um, what did you say? I said that's crazy when you think about that. It applies to ninety percent of people yeah. of color outside oh, of yeah. Asian. Yeah. That that one hundred twenty five thousand. Yeah, ninety percent of I Black, think... Latino, Native American. The people who have been the most discriminated against in America are Black, Latin, yeah. and Native American. Systematically, you know, and that's not to take away from Asians, yeah. but it's a different, yeah. a different vibe. Yeah, and I think, I think. Something like that, um, if if indeed that was able to be implemented, 
would set people up for for generational success, man. Like it's just it's just um, to me that would be awesome if they were able to to get that through. But I I don't know if they they would be able to implement that. Um, I do like the idea of the the investing in small excuse me investing in small business and things like that we've heard that a lot of times and, and that just like you know i'm not gonna waste a whole lot of time on that i just want to see the follow-through with that particular aspect but if if biden is is serious about um assisting on things like child care and putting an emphasis on uh, affordable housing and also um trying to create more opportunity for higher education for minorities. Those are things that honestly have been barriers for, for plenty of people. I go through that now in my job. A lot of people can't afford to send their kids to better schools or, or kids don't foresee themselves going to college because they have to stay home and, and help around the house to pay bills. And they, they have to stay home to, to watch their brother and sister. So they, they can't go play sports or, or, have these other experiences that can create opportunities in life for future success. There's so many different barriers that go into um, keeping people from being successful as minorities that to me, anybody trying to remove those barriers or, or um, relieve some of that stress, this is positive. And, and I thought those little uh, nuances in the plan, if they are able to be implemented, makes it a, a better plan than the platinum plan. Yeah, and that leads us to the platinum plan. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The man who's done more for African Americans than any president since Abraham Lincoln. Obviously, that's a quote. I don't believe that, folks. But he is the man. He is the he is the marketer. He's he's a marketing genius, and uh, he does that thing. But let me give you the um the highlights of the platinum plan. Give me one second. Uh, I got the critique of it right here. (laughs) I'm on the critique of it. But, uh, so let's see. The Platinum Plan is, let's see, uh, half a trillion dollars. So $500 $500 billion. And what it's stressing is federal contracting opportunities through infrastructure spending it ha- is also having a lot of opportunity zones as well. That's something Trump has always touted and he touts. But again, we saw, we talked about how some of those opportunity zones uh, don't necessarily work out for black people. Um, at the Black Caucus, mm-hmm. I have an article about that. A lot of what the uh, Trump Platinum Plan had in it, actually the Black Caucus was proposing and to me, it just doesn't go far enough. It's treating, it's like if you have cancer and it's like, I'm not even, I don't even know if the cancer is a, a good analogy. It's like if you have like horrible wounds, it's giving you a bandage instead of giving you like the, the balm or some kind of healing swab that you put on it. It's not, these are horrible analogies, but it does not go far enough at all. My man, um, in the article that I got from Bloomberg.com, I think they asked a uh, they asked a professor. Um, let me make sure I get his name right. 
because uh, they, let's see, um, he, his name is Lawrence Brown, he's an associate professor with the University of Wisconsin Population Health Institute, he summed up the Platinum Plan as a Trojan horse designed to feign interest and concern in the welfare of black communities, <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better. It's, excuse me, Dad, bullshit, okay? That's what it is, all right? Like, I, I get that people want to to say, like, you know, these are all great things and this and that, but it's a lot of the same promises that we've been made that have not had follow-through, just has not had follow-through. I don't trust the Trump administration to, to, to follow through on any of their promises, really. There's no oversight. There's nobody holding them accountable there's no leadership in this administration. So why would I invest in it or think that anything's going to change because he throws out a large number? Trillions and billions and millions and trillions, gazillions. They put out all these figures and it's like, that doesn't mean anything to me, bro. I make, if I'm lucky, 50000 a year. I can't wrap my mind around a trillion dollars. Like, what is that guy? Like, I don't understand that. Like, where are you getting these numbers from? And where, where's the data? Just trust me. And that is the Trump administration line right there. Trust me. Believe me. You know, like. He says that talking, literally. Talking, he talking, says, believe me. Believe me. Done. He loves to say that. Yeah. Nothing's getting done. Uh, and then the other thing that that uh, irritates me, too, is that there's a lot of contradictions in, in, in this. Um, one being that, you know, you want to invest in. And like you know, better housing for African Americans, but then you pull back policies that Obama put in place that helped kind of fight off redlining. Yeah, that and, and then you you talk about how you don't want how you don't want which we would call what we would call affordable housing or what people envision to be affordable housing. You don't want that near the lovely suburbs. You don't want that crime and he used near that you. As a like who are you referring to? He And 
that's more geared to, to making them feel like they're doing something than actually addressing any of the issues that black people have been talking about. It's funny, too, and I, and I feel like we didn't, I mean, we are skeptical of it, but I'll, I'll read some more of Trump's platinum plan. Three million new jobs for the black community. I don't know what that's going to appear out of thin air. Creating 500,000 new black-owned businesses. Yes. Increased access to capital in black communities by almost $500 billion, which is good. Safe urban neighborhoods with the highest policing standards. I don't know who the hell is going to make those, who's going to create those standards, but I don't trust the Trump administration to create them. Commit to working on a second step act. That's good. The first step act was good. Access to better training, education, and job training. Give black churches the ability to compete for federal resources in their community. Like some of it's good, but again, and, and, and see, they slip it in here again. This is another one where they slip in the Republican talking points that wink to the people that might not be down with it. Immigration policy that protects American jobs. Black people are not worried about immigrants. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not a beef yes. we have. That's not something you could tell somebody slipped that in there as another dog whistle. And so it's just this, it's. It's literally pandering, so maybe he can get to 10 to 15% of the black vote and somebody will say, oh, see, he really does care. But the fact that it came, he didn't even produce this plan until before the first debate while Biden had his in the summer kind of shows you that it was not a priority. And, and one other thing, too, I wanted to point out, man, that really, like, sealed it for me because I was... I wasn't necessarily undecided. I would probably not vote before I vote for Trump. <laughs> but I was I was taking my time and trying to decide who I was going to vote for and why because I don't want I don't want to be a trender. I don't want to just jump behind something because that's the cool thing to do. When the uh, moderator act like she said something about, you know, people are scared, uh mainly uh people of color are scared to have their, you know, black kids go out in the communities and things like that and, and and they have to have the talk. You know, they have to have the talk with their kids and this and that. Do you understand uh, anything like she asked them if they understood the talk or if they if they what would they say to those families to kind of ease their worries? Joe Biden, for what it's worth, answered the freaking question. My man Trump said, Yes, I do understand. And did not address the freaking issue at all. It ended up being a back padding rant about how he's done more for the black community and how he's he, you know, the uh historical black colleges came in and asked him for money and he was like, they gotta renew every year. And I was like, why do you gotta do that? You could just you know, we could just set this up and blah 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 blah. And not once did he address the issue. And that just sealed it from he's tone deaf. He's tone deaf on the issue, and and that's fine. I'd rather take my chances with somebody that I I know at least is is able to understand where we're coming from in the sense that that they can address the question when asked, than somebody who completely ignores the issue, man. And and that's the thing that bothers me about Trump. It bothers me about his administration, and it bothers me about the people who support him. Yeah, that definitely is their tone deaf. I'm going to ignore the Kushner comments because I want to get us under an hour. Uh, and you okay. touched on it. You touched on it just a little bit about Biden's record. And I'll, I'll go into what I think about Biden and Kamala's record. I hate when they say her name wrong. I feel like they say her name wrong just to troll sometimes. 
But and Trump's really gone after Kamala. I think these issues, see, with the 1994 crime bill and some of the other stuff Biden has done, has not always been good for black people. But I will say for one thing, mm-hmm. the Congressional Black Caucus was in favor of the crime bill, and I do honestly think that some of these things were unintended consequences. And in the 90s, there were a lot of black people that bought. It's like when you know better, you do better. There were a lot of black people that were for the crime bill because crime was out of control in these inner cities. Mm -hmm. And instead of, to some degree, going to the root cause of what is creating the crime, which is the crack epidemic and poverty and horrible policing and things like that, they just attack crime because you could make, uh, you could make yourself tough as a Democrat by being strong on crime because Reagan and Bush were very strong on crime. So they wanted to be a version of that. And so I think it's a case of unintended consequences. And I'm not totally like allowing Joe to get off the hook, but I think it's important to look at the context of it. But there are a lot of older black people that were in favor of what happened are still in favor of what happened as a result of the crime bill. A lot of bad people were put away, but again, unintended consequences. Yeah, the the thing about the crime bill, man, I mean, I work in, in law enforcement to some degree, I guess you could say. I'm not a freaking cop, and I know Chase is going to listen to this and chuckle, but yeah, I'm not a cop. <laughs> but I'm just saying, uh, I can see, I can see where it's important to have some kind of hard stance on on crime in, in certain times. During the nine, those early nineties and so forth, it was kind of wild out here, man. And and um, I get where they were coming from. And when you talk about you know the unintended consequence, that is true. Um, and and it it caught it did catch a lot of uh, of the worst of our society. But they were just collateral and it took too long for people to address that collateral. And I know black people supported it, but we have a, we have a problem in our culture where we don't seem to think things all the way through. And I'm, I'm pretty much at the point in my life now where anything dealing with crime, I always look at it like, how does this affect me? I don't have a record. I don't plan on having a record, but the innocent people or the people or people with uh, mental health issues like, um, you know, my son has a, a, a mild uh, diagnosis of autism and I have a friend, her son is um, on the spectrum too. And he, he he's 16 and he gets heightened, you know, when, when things get tense. If police are not properly trained and they run up on, the, on this kid in a situation, he might end up a victim of, of uh unfortunate consequence like we saw in Philadelphia, like all this, there's so much collateral that you have to take into consideration that we are more aware of now that back in 1994, they could have never foresaw any of this going left like it did. And I, I too am along the lines where I'm not sure how to, to really, how much blame to really place on these people, man. And it's unfortunate. Like, like you said, when you know better, you do better. In a, in a sense, especially from the African-American standpoint, the people who supported it that were African-Americans didn't really know any better, you know? Um, maybe there was some, some scheming behind the scenes with the with the white politicians because they're not outwardly affected by it. But I want to believe that 
over time, a lot of them um, who supported it look back and realize that they made a mistake and, and want to atone for it in some kind of way. But I'm not sure, having grew up during that time, having family who was directly affected by it, I'm not sure if a part of me can ever forgive that. And, and that's understandable. I, I do have a quote here from an Atlantic article, yeah. and it is a domestic policy aide of Bill Clinton's. And his name, let's see if I can find his name, Michael Waldman. He was in the uh, Clinton administration in 1994. Mm. And he says, I tell people today the crime bill wasn't controversial back then. It was welfare reform that was controversial. And so he it says that uh, he deplores the bill's effect on incarceration rates, even as he admires what he sees as the more salutary, salutary results, such as the emphasis on community policing. So it was a mixed bag. It got more police on the streets. It funded after-school programs. It focused on community policing, but at the same time, it had three strikes law. It had the, the crack cocaine kind of sentencing. It, 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 it was a very mixed, complicated bag. And that that is a part of Joe Biden's legacy. And some are just the frivolous things that he said that Republican white people like to say all the time. If you if, if you if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And that comment he said about Hispanics being more diverse. He can be very flippant when it comes to speaking off the cuff to black people or about black people. And and that can be troubling. Yeah, um he he's Joe Biden is a victim of of Something that a lot of white people have a problem with right now is that they're too comfortable around black people, but not all black people are your black people. So what you can say around your friends ain't what you can say around random people. So yeah, Joe, you with Obama, you could be like, man, you ain't black, but when you with IBS Jesus, I'm going to smack you in the face. Like, what are you talking about? I ain't black. <laughs> you know, like, I find that to be offensive. Especially coming from a white person. And, and I mean, I'm not trying to... to to go on an angry man rant, but in this day and age, I'm sick and tired of that crap. Uh, the the lady uh, that was talking about 50 Cent saying he was going to vote for Trump, and she was like, I had to call to remind him that he's black. What? <laughs> like, how, why do people allow people to talk like that around them, man? Like, I got white friends. My homeboy, Mike, he my right-hand man. The dude does the podcast with me, Paul. They my right-hand man. They white. They would never say something like that without me addressing it in the form of some kind of open hand smack. Like, you're not going to disrespect me like that. You're not going to talk to me like that. I'm not going to talk to you like that. So, like, why do you feel that you're comfortable enough to be able to do that? And we've got friends on Facebook right now who like to call us out for certain beliefs that are contradicting uh, what people consider to be black and things like that and, and try to tell us that we're... They're blacker than, than us and stuff like that. Like that kind of language. Like just, if you're white and you're listening to this podcast and you got black friends, I'm going to tell you right now, take it out of your vocabulary, yo. Because it's not cool. And and we're in a volatile time where a lot of black people will start calling people out on stuff like that. Like just take it out of your vocabulary. And so you got me fired up because I was... I was gonna let it go. You got me fired yeah, up. Yeah, but it's, I, it's, I, didn't, I didn't like it at all. It's the language of the oppressor. It's the language of the oppressor. Charlemagne allowed him mm-hmm. to say that and not address that, you know. And um, it's it's just it's one of those things that sometimes makes me like cringe because again, 
I am very skeptical of Joe already because of his past. And I'm very uh, convinced that, honestly, there's no difference in Democrat and Republicans. And like I said, Joe Biden's you don't vote for me, uh, you ain't black, is the same as Donald Trump's what do you got to lose? It's the same thing to me. It is the language of the oppressor, and it is, and, and more so with, with Biden, he is too flippant that he said it, but also the people on Facebook and the white friends that you see say that, or white people in public say that. It's the language of the oppressor. White people that believe that somehow they can define blackness or how much of it someone has. That's not a conversation any white person should ever form their mouth to say, whether you talk about a mixed-race person like Obama or Kamala, or you're talking about a black person and their political leanings or their personal opinions, that is the language of the slave master. And I don't care what anybody says, the, the, the definition, the defining of blackness, literally, one drop rule, laws they put on the books that try to define what we are and how much of what we are, you don't get to participate in that conversation. Yeah, you don't get to call a black person Uncle Tom if you're white. You can't. Exactly. You can't. I don't care if it's Candace Owens you're not qualified. or Jason Whitlock or whoever, but they love to do that. The liberals, they love to jump on it. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not your argument. That's not, you don't get to say yeah. who sold out and who is the Uncle Tom because you are not affected by it and you don't know black as well enough to do it. Hey, I don't know if you recall, we, I did tell somebody that on a thread that he wasn't qualified to, to participate in this yeah, conversation. Remember somebody <laughs> asked right before one of the other podcasts? Like, it was like a cultural thing. And he, he asked if he could yeah, do it. He was trying to comment on that. I was like, it was funny. And now let's get to Trump's history of race. What we know of Donald Trump, my God. Uh, housing discrimination sued for housing discrimination. Most, I guess some of his father, too, owned those homes, too. Uh, we have the, what is it, the, uh, the Central Park Five that he put the ad in the newspaper. Countless, countless racially insensitive remarks and comments, especially during the Black Lives Matter movement. The fact that he does not believe in systemic racism. Oh, gosh. What else is there? My God. Now, now I will say... Now, there's some positive stuff that the money that he gave to black colleges, as he says, the, the, he's done more for black people than uh, any president since Lincoln. Black employment, it was really at an all-time low under his administration. Uh, the First Step Act is the most substantive criminal justice reform of my lifetime. Uh, so there is some good stuff. and, and But then there's the stuff like you say uh, with the affordable housing. He's rolling back some of the solutions to redlining, like some of the things, uh, the discrimination, oh no, what was it? The, uh, not sensitivity training, but the racial and implicit bias training for federal employees. He wanted to roll that back. There's Columbus Day celebrating that and saying that uh, Columbus is really good and you shouldn't roll that back. Trying to stop the, uh, I think it's the 16, I forgot the year, but it's basically the slavery project that they were trying to put into the public schools. I think yeah. it was the 1609 Project. So there's a lot of conflicting things. A lot of black people would like to say it's all bad with Trump, but his record is not all bad. It, it's There's some good in there as well. Yeah, it is. It's some good and mostly bad. <laughs> um, I think a lot of 
my issue with Trump is that I still can't, maybe I just don't respect his intelligence enough, but he's so consistent with it. I have to start believing that he knows what he's doing. He knows the game that he plays and he knows how much power his words will. And he, he sets the fire, runs off and then goes, well, I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, one of my biggest issues with Trump is that he's politicized being a good person. And, and and I say that because he has made a lot of issues in America that are black versus white, a Republican versus Democrat thing. Well, that's the liberal agenda. Like, no, no, it's not. It's not it's not the liberal agenda to not be gunned down by cops and, and traffic stops and, and other domestic disputes and things like that. That I don't think that's a liberal agenda. I, I think that's just, you know, a human rights thing. And, and essentially that's what civil rights and, and um, you know, the plight of the African-American in our society has always been a civil rights issue. And it should never be a Democrat versus Republican issue. I, I hate that. Um, freaking Lindsey Graham kind of echoed it. You can be, what do you say? You can be black as long as you're conservative. Like, What? That makes no sense, man. And then they'll look at you and be like, that wasn't racist. What are you talking about? That is very racist. It's very, it's, it's, it's just, um, it's unfortunate because by politicizing this, his base has kind of grown into this thing where a lot of them support him and don't think that they're racist because it's, in their mind, a liberal agenda. This is Black Lives Matter. Like, that's a liberal agenda. That's, uh, what they, who's that dude, Soro, that they Soros, always talk yeah. about? Yeah, like, Soros, uh, that's, that's, that's funding them and this and that. And, and yeah, they, they want to take away police so, so they can, they can ride and, and tear up the cities. Those are liberal cities that are, that are out there burning and, and, and got all these issues. Like, no, man. And he's politicized coronavirus too, but this is a podcast about black people. So, why? Why does that have to be politicized? Like, stop politicizing uh, things that honestly just come down to human decency, you know? So, um, I don't, I don't know how you can look at Trump and not think that he's not racist to some extent, man. Echoed by Kushner, echoed by pretty much everybody in his inner circle, and he always likes to point to the fact that he had like Run DMC, Mike Tyson, all these people were cool with him back when he was owning casinos in Jersey and, and New York and this and that. Like, bro, they hate you now. <laughs> they hate you now. <laughs> Steve Harvey went to meet with that man. Remember Steve Harvey? Yeah. He was coming out the building looking looking stupid in the face, having tried to met with him and, and, and how Trump was gonna do all these things from the black community. I will I promise you, listen to the Steve Harvey morning show, man. You would be shocked how much he hates that man now. Like, and, and that's pretty much been, to me, the agenda of um, every black person who who I would consider to be middle road or or reached out to, to work with Trump on black issues ends up hating him. What so what do you think about the ice cube thing? I know we haven't really talked about that. Segue. Yeah, I was going to get to that. I was going to say the ice cube thing. I understand 100% where he's coming from. At the end of the day, no matter who's president, his, his obligation in his mind is to the black community. So he's going to work with whomever he can. I see where people are saying that the timing was wrong and this and that, but that's Ice Cube's prerogative, man. He's he not on their schedule. Whenever he thought it was necessary to do it, that's fine. 
I don't know if, if I shared it with you or not, but Kushner and or maybe that was Trump Jr., one of his, his sons, tried to um, politicize it and make it seem like Ice Cube and 50 Cent were supporting yeah, uh, sure Donald Trump. Yep. And Ice Cube was like, you know, Ice Cube called him out on it like, nah, nah, don't get it twisted. And I and I and I think I think Ice Cube went about it the right way in the sense that he was open-minded. Something that the African-American community is going to ultimately have to face. We are in this country together with white people. There can be no black side and white side. We can't segregate ourselves from white people and then also, in a sense, still want equality. Equality means we have to live amongst each other, with each other. And in order for that to happen... There needs to be some kind of diplomacy across the lines where white people are going to have to get along with black people, so forth and so on. And we got a lot of that in our homes and communities here um, in the country. I don't understand why politically it can't be the same as well. I think the thing, too, that's most dangerous about Trump that I noticed, and it, he is a reaction to Obama, is they say that nature abhors a vacuum. I can't even get it out. The nature abhors a vacuum. And when Obama was elected, there was a big reaction to a black man being in charge. And some of the stuff that they didn't like Obama about Obama didn't even make sense. But it, there are <laughs> far more liberal people. They kept calling them a socialist. There are far more liberal people in the Democratic Party back then and now than Barack Obama. He tried to split the baby a lot. But the thing that Trump has done is he has emboldened racist white people more than anybody in mm-hmm. my lifetime. I'm sure not in my parents' lifetime or your parents' lifetime, but he has emboldened them to say things they would only say in at their tables. They are willing to say and attack and go after and be blatantly racist more than any time I've ever seen in my lifetime. And a lot of that, he is the catalyst from either dropping hints or flat out saying racist, sexist things. Like he was talking about Kamala Harris, and this was more sexist than racist. He said, we can't have a socialist president. She's so liberal, especially a woman. Like, what? Like, why would it matter? If you think socialism is bad, that's fine. But why does it matter, especially a woman? The kind of language, and talking about when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Just the obvious racist shit that comes out of his mouth emboldens the lower class people that love him. That is already in them, he just stirs it up. Yeah, I've heard so many things, um, being that, I mean, we're both from rural areas, man. We both probably went to high school with all kinds of Trump supporters now that are adults, you know. And, I mean, I made it I made it my cause. I mean, you see me, I be on random people's profiles. Like, if you say some off-the-wall stuff and you're going to be bold about it, I'm going to call you out on it. And I'm not going to tell you that it's racist. I'm going to talk to you, engage you in the conversation. And let you realize it on yourself, like on your own, that what you said was really stupid. And um, that's a reflection of the president, man. The problem is that nobody ever calls him out on it uh, long enough or gets the platform to call him out on it long enough. Because when he's pressured about controversial things that he said or done, he walks away. He walks away. 60 minutes. uh, 
And any other time, like, he's had a press conference or something, he, he walks away. He definitely has something against women. He definitely has something against people uh, of color. And if you mix them together, he probably can't stand the idea. <laughs> and so that's probably his issue with uh, with Senator Harris. And, and, and that's perfectly fine. But I just, like, I'm with you, man. I've never in my lifetime seen a public figure emboldened racist people so much man so much and i mean i i'm legitimately afraid that after the election i'm gonna end up in a situation and somebody's gonna force my hand and i'm gonna have to smack fire from somebody that's like trump 2020 <laughs> i don't want to do that but it's getting to the point where it's, it's just it's hard man it's hard being a minority out here when you pretty much got this 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 dude who's, who's, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I even know how to explain it, man. Like I'm, sometimes I'm lost of words at what gets said and, and comes out of this administration's mouth and people just accept it. Literally just accept it. His own party, which is, I got so much beef from Republicans right now. They used to be people of morals and people that stood on, on their beliefs and Trump came along, and they all, all from the top to the bottom, everybody, even Mitch McConnell, they're all punks now, looking to to just save face because he's the president. That is, is ridiculous to me, man. Ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. And, and if people, uh, if you haven't seen it, I haven't heard you talk about it, but if you haven't seen it, look at that Axios uh, interview with Ted Cruz where he calls him out on a lot of the hypocrisy. But I told you, uh, we were, Cynthia, you're listening to this. Cynthia Rodriguez, you're listening to this. You suggested that we make our podcast 45 minutes. But between Alan and I, we both like to talk. But we are just over an hour. And I tried to streamline it as much as I can. But really, I think this one is just as important as that first one we did right after the George Floyd shooting. uh, Just to get that perspective. It doesn't mean we're right about everything about black people, but it means we're giving you the perspective of black men who have lived their whole lives in this skin. And that means a lot. And I think people are listening to us. So rate, subscribe, and share, if nothing else. Give us a good blurb and share it. And thank you for coming on the podcast, Alan. All right, no problem, man. All right, have a good one.